Blog Talk Radio. Those 
those are more lower vibration frequency emotions. And everything is it's really based off of your emotions, how you read what your frequency is. So we're going to kind of talk about that today. So, you know, raising your vibration enables you to receive more direct guidance from your higher self in the universe. And so that is why it's important, and that's why you would want to raise your higher, that's why you want to raise your vibration and function at a higher frequency. Yep. So, anything you'd like so, to add to that? Yes. Um, the higher and the lower frequencies are the two polarities of love and fear. The higher vibration is love. The higher, faster vibration, where the slower, lower vibration are all derivatives of the opposite of love. Some people think it's hate, but hate is a derivative of fear. So those lower frequencies and those lower vibrations are all fear-based. The universe itself functions on the higher vibrational scale, which is the love vibration, which is the very, very fast. If you were to look at it in terms of a pulse, the love frequency pulse would be much faster than the, the, the fear frequency pulse. Longer and slower and lower. That's all I got. Can you talk about you? You just mentioned that fear is, um, you know, people think that well, fear, hate is a form of fear. Can you talk yeah. about some other form? What are some other forms of fear that people might not connect to fear, but is actually fear? Mm. Um, like I said, hate absolutely is a form of fear. Um, sadness. Sadness and, and, and depression are also forms of fear. Um, anything that ties to the lower spectrum in terms of, of doom and gloom is pretty much or pretty much derivative of, of fear themselves. I'm drawing a blank right now. I'm sure once you move on to something else, I have a thousand other <laughs> connections. Well, you know, we're, we're open. It's a Friday. It's snowing outside uh, on a spring day. So, you know, we're open. So basically, there are only two real emotions. There's love and fear. So everything right. that you feel either fits on one side or the other. But right. you know, fear covers, um, you know, hate, sadness, uh-huh. anger, uh-huh. jealousy, uh-huh. frustration, um, guilt, depression, inadequacy, insecurity, prejudice. Right. Right. Um, you know, all of those are actually just a form of fear. They're not separate emotions. They're just how that emotion of fear is expressed. Um, So, you know, love and fear cannot, they are opposites. They cannot coexist in the same place. Right. Uh, So, you know, when one is present, the other one is not. So if you are feeling that and you're finding yourself in that situation, um, you're being overtaken by one of those, or that's what you're experiencing. You're actually, you know, as far away from love. You're on because it's polarity. You're as far away right. from love. And then, I mean, and, and, and the most adequate way to think about it is light and darkness. You know what I'm saying? Whenever there's light, darkness isn't present, and vice versa. Right. You know, there's, it's an impossibility for light and dark to share the same space at the same time, as right. is for love and fear. 
Right. Love is light and fear is darkness. So it's fear and darkness. That's a good analogy. You turn on the light and the darkness is no more. Exactly. exactly. So. And most of the spiritual um, references, when you really get into the esoterics of the spiritual references, they're basically saying that very thing. That's what it's saying. Anytime it, it refers to the darkness, it's referring to what most people would consider the unknown. And automatically, in this existence, the unknown, coupled with the unknown, is the very presence of fear. You know what I'm saying? Most of our fear is predicated on the fact that we don't know something. And, and, and within our human existence, in our human experience, the unknown is the most feared variable there is. Absolutely the mm-hmm. most feared variable there is. If you don't know something, something that's not familiar to you, automatically present is that fear vibration. So coded within all of those religious texts is the idea that fear is darkness. Anytime that they reference darkness, anytime they reference demonic and, and, and satanics and all of that stuff, they're basically it, it's a allegory for fear. Not, exactly. Not a, so it's not to be looked at as this demon or the devil that's after you. It's your fear that yep. actually exists inside of you, that is not separate yep. from you, that yep. they are using to, you know, characterize by saying, it, you know, the devil your lower or nature, or darkness your lower or nature, your lower nature, your right. fear-based nature, period. You know, when, exactly. when Jesus was in the, in the wilderness and he said, get behind me, Satan, he was talking to the reptilian part of his brain and the, what is it, medulla oblongata in the back of your head. That loosely translates when he said, get behind me, Satan. He was speaking to that aspect of him that was saying, go ahead and eat. You fasten, but you know you need to eat, if that makes any sense. He's always talking about your lower nature. Fear, lower nature, devil, it's all the same thing. Right. Exactly. And on the line with us, we also are joined by Danielle. Hello, Danielle. Hey, honey. Hello. Anything at this point you'd like to add? Um, no, I just hear you guys um, saying, um, I guess, defining the difference between the love and fear and whatnot, and I'm just agreeing with you thus far. Oh, cool. So, cool. Cool. Nothing to share right now, but I'll be muted in a minute because I need to go find Michael. You need to go find him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Markel just came in the house. And Michael, he was with Scott, and Michael's probably with another buddy. So keep talking. Okay. I'm here. that you could be is let's talk about that and then we'll walk our way up. So what do you, what is the okay. lowest form of vibration? The lowest form you what do you mean the lowest form of vibration? The lowest form we know that it's fear, but the lowest form of vibration what I've been told and what I've been taught is shame. Because it in it basically oh. inhibits all of those other emotions. 
yeah. So, you know, shame yeah. or it's the lowest it's, well, okay, the lowest form of, of human expression in terms of vib- of, of vibration. Yeah, yeah. have to hands down, unequivocally unequivocally right. be because shame. shame includes depression and hate. Right. And and this is right. all things from yourself. You hate right. yourself. You're depressed. Right. You feel guilty. You feel inadequate. Right. You don't feel good enough. You have, right. you know, discontentment. Um you are judgmental of yourself. You're angry at yourself. All of these things that you put towards, well, anytime you put it towards anyone else, you're really putting it towards yourself. But this is a direct attack on yourself anytime you feel shame. Right. Um, so, you know, that has to be the lowest form of vibration. It keeps you the most stuck. Right. Um, it keeps you paralyzed. It keeps you paralyzed. It's probably the most paralyzing of of of, of, the, of the fear Based vibration it keeps you stuck. It keeps you in a place of, of, of paralysis, where you know the constant fear of whatever that shameful component is is something that's hidden and 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 kept away from sight to keep from being exposed or or, or seen by people other than yourself. You know, and in for the most part, a lot of times. When you begin to analyze the shame, or people sometimes when people are forthright with their shame, you begin to realize that most of the shame really isn't something that's that shameful, you know. But it, it, it's right. the, the weight that they attach to it that gives it the degree of, of of power that it has. You know, most people when you think of something shameful, you automatically think of the worst of the worst of the worst of human experience. You know, something really, really, really bad, but. People tie shame to the damnedest of things. Sometimes, right. you know, most of the time, I'd, I'd venture to say that the shame stigma shouldn't even be wrapped around a lot of the stuff that we bear shame about. But you can't say that to the person who's experiencing it because they're the one experiencing the level of shame and the level of paralysis because of that shame, that it's just as real as if it was something huge or monumental. Right, and it basically has to do with not what someone perceives as their expectations to those that they are around or that they love or that they need. They feel like they need acceptance from. So if they know blank about me, then they're going to reject me or they're not going to think of me the way that I want them to think of me. So, therefore, it becomes something that you feel like you need to hide, that you don't want to discuss, that you don't want other people to know. When it could be something, you know, everybody has, you know, something that they don't talk about but not necessarily are hiding, that the very thing that you think makes you, you know, most shameful could be, something that somebody else is already dealing with, and it's nothing that is a big deal. But if you don't bring it out in the open, it has power over you um, until you do. Right. right. So let's walk that down then. I mean, okay, we're talking about shame, and shame is basically due to the fact that we what? Compare ourselves to other people. Yeah, right. For the most part. Yep. No. Shame, in the, shame by itself isn't shame. Shame is only shame when you introduce contrast or what you believe to be contrast. Absolutely. Or when you, right. you know. So anytime you compare your, you know, you are 
the only you that is ever going to be and ever is going to exist, and so you cannot compare your journey or your experience to anyone else's because what is happening for you is only for you. So when we look at other people and we say, how come I'm not like that or how come I didn't have that or how come this happened to me and not this person or this person's life is better than mine, it's like comparing, you know, apples to (laughs) algebra books. There's nothing you can compare the two. It's completely different. So, you know, we tend to, to... that's what we do in the society, especially in our society. Well, and you know, there's you know shame in every society, but we are raised to compete with one another, so we're constantly comparing. Right. Um, from right. a very young age, we are taught to you have to be the best, you have to be better, you have to get straight A's, you have to be the one that scores the goal, you have to be, you know, the best looking and the tallest and the brightest, and we're constantly competing so therefore whenever you fall short you start to feel inadequate and if there's something where someone's going to look at you and say there's a chance that someone can say you know what you're not as valuable as I thought you were so therefore you're inadequate basically what we've been taught is that means that you are a failure and you're worthless so it's better to hide that and not take the chance and someone thinking that you don't matter um, right. to bring it out in the open, which, you know, we'll, most of the time, nine times out of ten, we'll clear it up, and the, the ten, tenth time will probably teach you something about yourself or the people that you're around. Um, and it still doesn't mean that you're, still probably will not prove the story that you are created in your head. Um, but most people don't feel like they can take that chance. Wow. Wow. You know what I liken it to? I kind of liken it to digging boogies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're by yourself and ain't nobody around, you got your whole finger in your nose all the way up to your knuckle. <laughs> Most people, uh-huh. I think some people use tissue, but but it's only when somebody's looking at you digging your nose that it becomes something vulgar. Now, if it was vulgar to you prior to somebody looking at it, you wouldn't, you know, most people with right. comforts in their own home or ain't nobody looking or they think nobody's looking, they mm-hmm. go to town. That's the truth, though. I know. Very you won't dig in your right. nose around, unless you're in your car. Right. You somehow think that you are invisible in your own planet and your windows are not <laughs> transparent. <laughs> you, for some reason, think that your windows are not transparent and people can't see right. you. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a good analogy, and also, so it's all in the way that you view something. So it's exactly the same thing. You just have somebody looking at you. Or a good that's analogy good. is um, Eldon Taylor. He gives this analogy of how we look at things and how different it is. So he talks about how, you know, you have spit in your mouth all the time. It's good. It's protective. It kills right. germs. It keeps your mouth moist, and you swallow it constantly all day. And if you say you took a, you know, you swallowed some spit and then you spit some in a cup, it's the same exact spit. And now drink the spit. Just seconds later, drink the spit. Right, right. Then that's disgusting. Yeah. But it's the exact same spit yeah. that was in your mouth seconds earlier. Exactly. You're still going to exactly. do the same thing, but it's disgusting. Exactly. To drink the spit. Exactly. Or like, you know, when my sister was young. She used to have a little a little area on her plate that she would reserve for her chew-outs. 
of the perception that they've been given from family or friends or a position that they're in, possibly, yep. um, that they would not... People do divorce, I mean divorce, um, abortion is the same way. Right, exactly. Yeah, there are some people that, you know, you know, for, for the obvious reasons, feel some kind of way about abortions. And there are other people who talk about how many they had as if they brag about it. Right. Well, my yeah. question is, why do you, if it makes you feel shameful and embarrassed and you don't want people to know about it, why do you do it in the first place? Because you really don't care about other people until other people find out. Again, that's what we're talking about with, with big and boogies and stuff. And things only look shameful when they're compared to something else, when they're contrasted to somebody else. If okay. it's something that you've done in and of yourself without anybody looking to find it out, then it doesn't carry the same level of shame. It's only shame. Shame only comes into play when you introduce outside. Uh, expectations to what it is that you're doing. You so know, if you're being you know, judged by somebody. Right, or mm-hmm. if you're being judged by yourself based on what somebody says is appropriate or inappropriate. Right. So if you're right. the girl who's well, had 10 abortions, then you'll feel comfortable talking to the other girls who have had abortions, but to the person, exactly. to the grandmother who's a super religious person and believes every baby should be born, you won't feel comfortable. Right. right. Or sometimes, even in that case, it might be the lesser of two evils. Like the person might think it's even worse or more shameful for me to have a baby than to have an abortion. Right. Because then, right. you know, I have the shame in front of me. <laughs> Right. and moving and crying than for me to have an abortion and then, you know, nobody has to know about that. But everybody's going to know I had a baby. So sometimes people think it's the, the less of two evils. Um, yep. And sometimes it's not even your shame. It's, right. you know, shame of what someone else has done or did, like, you know, your parents are in prison or... Um, societal shame Like they had this um, Some uh, doctor Did some research There's this group of uh, women In a South American country I think it's Peru But basically there's a great shame over Women who go through menopause So basically when they go through menopause They feel so shameful That they get sick and they die Right They're no longer women, they're no longer valid, they can't have babies anymore, they're not valuable, they're not important, Um, their purpose in life is over, so they they feel a great shame because of that. They're not valued in that society anymore and everyone just kind of shuns you and looks at you as a burden. And so Mm -hmm. because you're a burden, you should be ashamed. Right. And it destroys you. And they allow it to destroy them. So which is why it's question, so low vibration. The the the, the hundred thousand dollar question, the ultimate question is then is outside perception, public perception, social perception valid or invalid? Because most people live their entire lives based on the social barometer. Based on how Esteemed they are in the eyes of other people. Most people, their 99.9% of their lives is set up to gain approval. You know, mm-hmm. and this is this is not 
a phenomenon that's, you know, rare to most. It's, it's pretty much everybody who does this. So to borrow a phrase from someone that I know, if everybody's doing it, how can it be wrong? You understand right. what I'm saying? Is there a valid right. side to it? Should we give it credence at all, or is it something that we should totally dismiss? That's my question. In terms of, of, of giving other people a barometer into how we are to govern our own lives, or how we're to govern ourselves. Of course should we should we worry be about what other people think about to a, to nobody, a nobody should worry about what other people think, but it takes a strong-minded, strong-willed person to not care what other people think. It does. It takes a lot of work to get to that point because we are raised to find your value in the group or the tribe. And so you, especially as a child, when you are trying to basically survive, your survival depends on your acceptance of the rest of the group of the tribe. So therefore, when you grow up, your classmates become your tribe, and so you need their acceptance. And then when you get your first job, that becomes your tribe, and so you need those people's acceptance. And so as you change people in circles, they all become a part of your your group. And so you right. you are you are raised to believe that they and the connection that you have with them is determines your self worth. So if you are you know doing something that goes against the expectations of your group, and there is a chance that you could be misunderstood or rejected by this group. It is in your mind mm-hmm. a matter of survival. Yeah. Wow, I'm wa- I'm seeing right. that with the new right. business venture that I have taken on. Um, <laughs> I've, uh-huh. I've realized that people have. You want to plug your business? You want to plug your business? Get a, a no. famous plug. We can later, but the um, I'm, I start to see people as um, they're like computer programmers for their own lives, is in the respect that they create algorithms based on the different groups of people that they're a part of. So, mm-hmm. like for this particular stuff, there's gonna be stuff that people are interested in and they want, they like, and they want to talk about and they want to learn about and all this other kind of stuff, but they won't let these groups of people know about it. Mm-hmm. Right, so they can't something. fully be their hundred percent self all the time, so right. they created their own programming. They programmed their own life. Right. Right. Wow. I like people with multiple Facebook profiles. Oh, wow. Sorry, <laughs> <you're not> <laughs> right. I got to have this one for my work people, right. this one for my freaky friends, this one for my childhood friends, this one yeah. for, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, this is for my, yeah. So Grandma can see pictures of kids. Yep. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's too much. Thing. But it's too much. It's too even, if, even in social networking, it's too much to manage a profile. It's too much to handle a five Facebook page profiles. I'm sorry, I got two, and it's too much work for me for those. But just imagine if you had to do that for your life. Like you have right. to wake up and be a certain way with this person, a certain way with these people, a certain way with these people, a certain way with this person. Like, how, how much energy does that take? It's exhausting, right. and there's people who do it all the time. Right. Yep. There's people that every morning when you wake up, yeah, every morning when you wake up, you decide what mask am I going to put on? What persona right. do I need to be because I'm going to this meeting, so I have yep. to wear this mask. 
But right. after work, I'm going to take that off and I'm going to put on this mask because i got to go hang out with my boys and they think right. I'm the shit. So i got to go, um, you know, hang out with these people. But then I'm going to go hang out with my family and my family thinks I'm all innocent and good and pure, so I'm going to go put this mask on. Then on Sunday, I'm going to church and they think yep. I am holy and sanctified, so then I'm going to put on that mask. Yep. Yeah. So how do you know who you are when you juggle all those different personas and how do you be your authentic self? And that's what it takes. And that is your highest vibration is being your authentic self. But some people have no idea even how to begin to approach who they are because they're so busy being what everyone else thinks they are supposed to be. Right. Right. Or, or, or the fear of the people around somebody who is being authentic. The fear experienced mm. from, you know, the people that experience someone who is being inauthentic. Like when we were watching that Malcolm X movie last night. I love that movie. I love I love what Malcolm X stood for. Not, you know, from the social perspective. There are components that I, I agree with that Malcolm X stood for. But the fact that he was unwavering in what it was that he believed. You know what I'm saying? Right. And he wasn't willing to play politics. He wasn't willing to say this in front of this group and say that in front of that group. He was the same self in front of whoever he was talking to. Period. Right. You know, agree or disagree with what it was he stood for, but I admire the fact that he stood for it. Unwavering. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that scared the shit out of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That scared the shit the out of a lot of people. He didn't have that, enough fear to... Um, conform Right And you know And that's what they're saying It's a, a man who has no fear Or has nothing to lose Is you know What would they consider dangerous Because they can't control you Yep Wow And um, he had no fear No He had nothing None. to lose Right Right Especially when they got to the point where they were, you know, threatening his life, and he knew he was going to die. So right. at what point? At that point, you have nothing to lose. <clears throat> there is nothing they can do to control you, and so they're putting all of their themselves and their shame and everything that they've done at risk of being exposed because mm-hmm. now they can't control you. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part. It's wow. how can you? How can you be? So open and honest and fearful when I'm living in a you know a bubble of fear bubble at all times. Right. right. How do you, you know, how do you? And it and again might even create more shame for the person because you're a constant reminder of what they feel like they're unable to be. So it's very right. hard to be around someone like that when you are juggling four or five masks and personalities. Mm-hmm. Right. A plethora of personas. <laughs> mm-hmm. A plethora of right. personas. <laughs> a plethora of personas. A plethora of personas. Oh. Right. Just to fit in. Just not. Just so you don't stand just out. Just to be accepted. Right. Just, just right. You exactly. Know, everything but stand out. And it, it, and that I think boils down to the opinion that people take on of themselves is that they're. Largely inadequate, largely insufficient, largely, you know, inappropriate, for the lack of a better word. 
you can't stand out because, you know, there's safety in numbers. And most people subscribe to the idea that if everybody's doing it, it can't be wrong. Right. You know, and that mentality, I think it's just part of the program. That's what makes this whole paradigm work the way that it does. You know, that's why they call the church the flock. That's why they call, you know, groupings like that of people in private, they call them mm-hmm. sheeple, you know. Because right. you get one going one way and two start to go and three, and then before you know it, everybody's going because, again, there's safety in numbers, and if everybody's doing it, it can't be wrong. Right. Or at least I won't be wrong by myself. Right. I have lots of company, right. which is comforting because I'd rather be in good, in company wrong than right by myself because then that's lonely and scary. You know, people mm-hmm. won't stand. You know, very few people are at the point where they will stand against everybody else for something that they know is right. Well, first of all, right. they you know they'll start doubting themselves. Um, but to stand alone in what you believe and what you, is right goes against everything that we've been told and we've been taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know basically going against your you know second nature of who you've been told what you need in order to survive, and it's very fearful. And you're opening yourself up to judgment and persecution and rejection, and most people will not willingly and knowingly put themselves in that position because they don't know themselves enough to feel comfortable. Learning, 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 learning itself is is a fear-based institution. You know, we we learn from that, that polarity exclusively. So everything that we do is in contrast to not being or not having. Everything that we do is in contrast to lack. You know what I'm saying? So fear is always present within any of our experiences because we're trying to keep from getting to that end of the polarity by, first of all, acknowledging that the end of the polarity exists and trying to sustain something that keeps us away from it, be it hiding, lying, or whatever the case may be. We're always operating from the position of lack or insufficient, first and foremost. We don't operate from the higher end of the spectrum or the polarity. We don't hop, operate from the successful aspect. We operate, we operate from being unsuccessful or being, you know, I'm going to do this so I'm not hungry or so that I'm not a follower. I don't have, I mean, so I don't experience lack. It's always from the lack component. It's never from the other. Everything that we do is based on everything that we pretty much do in terms of, of social observances is, is a fear-based phenomenon, first and foremost. Right. It is the fear of feeling, um, oh, the fear of feeling um, inadequate, not good enough. So you're basically always trying to fill that hole. And we right. have another guest. <laughs> On the line, we'll bring on in a minute. It is our friend um, Greg, that shepherd. That <laughs> shepherd, Greg. Hey, Hello, is... Greg. How are you? I'm good. Greg calling from Nashville. How you guys doing? What's up, good. Greg? How are you? Um, I just wanted to say thank you for using the um, 
the uh, mask analogy, and we all know that Latin word for persona means mask, so personality means mask, and you made me think of it in a different way. The, and I know you guys will tie this in when I say it. The best definition I ever heard for, for fashion, when we think of clothing, clothing is something that we wear, and a mask is also something that we wear. The purpose of fashion is to decorate our inauthentic lives. And when I think of a, pers- a personality mask that we put on, it's the exact same thing. We're decorating our, inauth- our inauthentic lives. Right. And that goes a lot deeper. Um, and, and you guys are talking about the heart of it, really. I mean, you're not dancing around it. You're just digging in there and really pulling it out. And that's we need more of that in the world. Um, but we think that personality is a good word, and in reality, it's not. Um, some would defend it as... Well, it, it's a defense mechanism that's necessary to live, and I disagree with that. I think that's old textbook psychology that's been regurgitated into society, and, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop. We should be able to live authentically without these masks and raise our vibration and be who we really are without being afraid. Right. And I, I think that's happening. It's happening in pockets. I think it's happening. I don't think that that's ever going to be – the mass phenomena. I don't think it's ever really been the mass phenomenon. I think there was a time when, you know, we lived from a Gnostic perspective where spirituality wasn't what it is now. Spirituality is more agnostic. It's more believing than it is knowing. I think there was a time when everybody was pretty much on the same page in terms of knowing what true spirituality was and what, you know, their particular uh, 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 brand of it was And not this uniform thing Where you have to look like everybody else In order to fit in Once that was introduced That began all of this craziness That began, you know, everyone putting on these different masks And personas to fit in Even when they know they didn't exactly They would still do it because, again Everyone else was doing it Yeah. You know But the- I, don't think that, I don't think it's ever going to be A point where Everybody I, It might be better than it is now, but in terms of everybody being authentic, everybody, everybody being their authentic self, I don't, I don't, it, I would love for that to be the case. I definitely would, and I'm not, you know, a, a I'm not trying to play devil's advocate yeah. saying it, but it, it's hard to imagine that that would be the case. I, I think one of the most important things that most of us don't remember is the whole reason why we're afraid of not being accepted by other people. And all we have to do is work in reverse and back our way into how we got where we are. And the only way to do that is to go all the way back to source. And ultimately, if I'm afraid that you're not accepting me, I'm ultimately afraid that I'm going to be rejected by creator. Whatever creator is, call it whatever, it doesn't really matter. No matter what I think or believe creator is, it doesn't change what creator is, and creator is the same for everyone. Um, but that's really what it is, is it's fear of being rejected by source. And it, it's amazing when we think about all the time that we spend struggling to be like everyone else, but at the same time, we have the opposite vibration of, but yet I want to be different. So we're calling the vibration of sameness, but at the same time we're calling the vibration of difference. No wonder we're bipolar all over the place and taking the volume by the bucket loads. 
Right. right. Everyone wants to be unique and everyone wants to be special and everyone wants yeah. to be different, but you're right. At the same time, everyone wants to be accepted. Um, yeah. And to be accepted, you have to conform. So, yeah, that is a big oxymoron. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. you're right because, um, you know, when you say that ultimately what it is is you don't want to be rejected by the creator or by source, it's basically because if you are in with society, that means you are, quote, unquote, good. And if you're not in or being accepted by society or the group or your clan, then you are, quote, unquote, bad. And bad equals separation from source who's going to think you're bad and is going to further separate you. Yeah. Um, which is our form of, you know, hell. So that's basically what, you know, sin, sin is, is either you are accepted or you're not. And when you do things to make yourself separated because of non-acceptance. That's what sin is, essentially. So um, that's where the, you know, conformity and the acceptance comes in. And, and what we were talking about is the shame. As long as you are hiding that, then you, even though you, and what creates the shame is you know the truth and you know what's really happening and you think that you're fooling some other people, and you may be, but you can't never fool yourself, and of course you can never fool source. So no. you are, um, which is yourself, but you can never uh, fool who you think you are fooling, so it creates a level of I am unworthy and I'm worthless, <clears throat> and that's why it creates you know, depression and, and anxiety and fear and unhappiness uh, because you're not fooling yourself, although you work very hard to put on the, the mask and the clothes and the walls to keep people from penetrating the exterior and actually seeing you for what you are because you believe that you're worthless. Yeah. And it's, and so it's, that's all, why. it's all about, in the way I see it, it's all about amnesia. I mean, we showed up to remember who we are. And in that's anything. Yeah, I mean, anything outside okay, of that's that. that's everybody's purpose. Right, exactly. That's why we're here. Everybody yeah. basically has the same purpose. Yep. Is to remember and realize your divinity. Yep. Any Anything and outside that, of that. Right. Yeah. Anything outside of that is, you know, it's personality. <laughs> yeah, anything outside of that is forgetting. Isn't it amazing that if the reason why we showed up is because we consciously agreed with, with Source to show up and be in forgetfulness, we, we agreed, hey, I'm going to show up here in this grand illusion called the 3D world, and I agree to forget who I really am. Why would I do that? For the joy of remembering who I really am. I'm going to bury a treasure for the joy of finding the treasure later. And that's the whole thing. And here, here's the, the thing that grabs most people is they don't want to accept the fact that they're no better than anyone else because the 3D world teaches them to fight and struggle and compete. We do it in schools. We do it in college. We do it in professional sports. It's everywhere. And we wonder why oh, we're yeah. confused. We wonder why we're unhappy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Because we spend our whole lives trying to be separated from other people, um, which is the exact opposite direction of what you should be. Everyone, we're, it's, everyone is this, you know, the oneness. It's all the same. So, Whenever you say I'm special, <laughs> yeah, I'm different than these people. It's your separation, and it's yeah. you, ex, 
extending your separation from what you believe to be your separation from separation. Here's an here's an interesting thought. Isn't it amazing based on what you just said? And and these are my words now. Not I'm not putting words into your mouth. That when we look at an Adolf Hitler, or we look at someone who we deem to be a monster, that's actually a piece of us that has yet to be reconciled back into our hearts. Isn't yep. that amazing? Yep. I mean, isn't that absolutely amazing to even think of that? Yep. Even even yep. Jeffrey Dahmer is a piece of me that is yet to be reconciled back into my heart. I mean, that just blows my mind. Right. Yep. And people don't I mean, want to. This, this basically, everyone operating from the illusion that we're all separate. We're all separate beings having separate experiences is the quintessential reason why all of this is even a conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, there was a time when everyone knew that all was one and one was all. Everything is the same thing. Everything is one thing. We are different expressions of the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, comparing yourself to someone else is ludicrous when you really understand what this really is. But trying to convince people that that's the idea and that's the case, you know, until that's ever in a possibility in someone's mind, they'll always play this game with themselves. You know, one thing that would one thing that would one thing that would level the playing field immediately, and and I just recently came into this type of thinking. Somebody kind of helped me get there. This is what would change the playing field immediately if everyone woke up tomorrow, everyone on the planet. And we all had the exact amount of money available to us. There was no rich, poor, middle class, lower, middle, upper, none of that. All that garbage was completely gone, and everyone was on a level playing field. Everyone. All class envy would be gone overnight. I would really be interested to see what kind of a vibration shift would occur as a result of that. I think initially, this is just off the top of my head, the ones who all had more than everyone else would try to find a way to take everybody else. <laughs> right. Would be the it would first. still be fear of, I'm, you know, with all of the, if, let's say everyone woke up and they all had the exact same amount of money. M- mentally and spiritually, you still are going to be in a place of lack. So therefore, yeah, I think you're right. You'd still try to figure out a way to take it from other people. Yeah, there would be um, a massive change. You know, those massive people change. who are, yeah, those people who still are in a in a sense of lack, because there are people, of course, who have abundance that they don't even realize that they have, um, and they're still trying to. I mean, why would someone who has more money than their grandparents or their grandkids will be able to spend still trying to get money? It has nothing right. to do with you know. They're still trying. They're hoarders. They're just money hoarders. When there are people on the street who you know, haven't eaten in days, but you have more money than your grandparents and your grandkids are going to be able to spend, and you're still trying to figure out how to get more. It's because in your mind you still feel lack, and that lack is, is um, tied to your self-worth. Right. So yeah. no matter how much money you have, you're still going to be trying to feel that hole of I'm not enough. Right. And then and it, I think at some point, I think at some point it transitions from money more so, and it becomes more of a power and influence type of a situation. I don't think it right. becomes more, it becomes less about dollars and cents and more about power and influence. And 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 the need to be relevant trumps everything else, you know. 
you're still placing other people ahead of yourself because you're only relevant when other people notice you or recognize you. You know? Absolutely. You're right. not relevant. That's why there's, so, you get a lot of people say, like, and you hear about, um, you know, you ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they want to be famous. They don't care how. They don't right. care under what form. They're not saying, I want to be an artist, or I want to be an actor, or I want to be a singer. No, I want to be famous because they want that recognition and validation from other people to define them rather than them you know, finding it in themselves because that's what they see as valuable. This is how people get love. Look how many people love this woman who doesn't do anything but you know, has a reality show and all these people love her, but she's famous. Yeah. Um, I want that because I need people to love me. So it has to do with they you know, have no idea if they're going to make money off of it or if they're going to be fulfilling their purpose, but they're going to be known and that means that I'm important enough for people to know who I am and therefore I must be someone or must be somebody. Right. Instead of realizing that you're somebody all on your own. Right. It, it, again, it's, it's about acceptance, and it's about placing your worth and your validity outside of yourself. You know, once you place your worth and your validity outside of your being, you're subject to all manner of foolishness to gain the acceptance and approval of everyone else because that's what becomes your sustaining force. You're, you give away your sustaining force, and the thing that validates you from within is outside of you. It's like a heart beating on the outside of you. <clears throat> and it takes other people to substantiate that heart to give you credence in and of yourself. That's 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 crazy to me. And the yeah. fact that I've lived most of my life like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when I look back and I, I can pinpoint the moment that I only did what I did for acceptance. And I, and how ludicrous it sounds to me now, it's like wow. Wow, and and my 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 goal at this point is to get as many people as I possibly can to see their work. Right. You know, to see their work, to see their divinity, for them to realize, to sustain yourself in and of yourself without the need to have someone else validate you from the outside. That takes away a lot of that stuff. That takes away a lot of the shame and all of that other stuff that we throw on ourselves as we try to measure up to the standards of other people. You know what a real challenge is for me in my teaching, um, because money happens to be my specialty, and it always boils down to what we're talking about. We start at money, and we always end up right where we are right now. I just use different language Uh based on who I'm teaching. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's it's that whole thing, like you said, looking for the validity. And I get to a place in my teaching where – and I think I've moved past it. I feel pretty comfortable that I've moved past it where it was not necessarily a numbers game, but it was like, you know, I want to wake up as many people as possible. I went through that stage, and mm-hmm. then I sort of got to a place, and, and this is different for everybody because I come in and out of this. Mm-hmm. Even if I taught between now and, and lived to be 100, if I never woke another person up to who they really are, my work was still completed because I woke up. Right, and it's right. hard right. to be okay in that space. Right, um, mm-hmm. but it, I think it gets easier, and I don't mean with age, because you know we can be young and wise if we choose, but we can be old and foolish if we choose too. Right. Um, I guess it just depends on the individual. 
Right. And and that's basically what it is, is that each person does the work to heal themselves and to be the, uh, their authentic selves, and that's what we're talking about, vibration. It heightens the vibration of everyone because we're all one. We're all connected. So there are people out there who are trying to um, display their worth by saving the world but not working on themselves. So they go out and, you know, they're animal rights people and right. they're planting farms and they are – you know, saving stray cats on the street and they, you know, everything that you can, feeding the homeless, but they're not working on themselves. Um, the best yeah. thing that you could do is to heal yourself and therefore look how many people you influence because you're working on your own healing. Um, just think if all of our, who we think of as, you know, the, these world leaders who um, have, massive influence on, you know, millions and millions of people who basically are leading from their fear and insecurity and how different their leadership would be if they were doing, if they were working on themselves and working on their healing, then it wouldn't be, I have something to prove, so I'm going to go to war with this country, or I feel lack, so I'm going to go to war with this country so that I can make more money for my friends so they'll like me, or... I have to prove something to my father, who was the leader before me, and he always thought I was worthless, but now I have to show him how powerful I am. You know, all those people, if if anybody leading a family or a country or a kingdom or whatever the level of leadership that you have, if you do the work, then that trickles down to everyone that you have influence on. So even... You know, anyone, if you don't have a family, you don't have kids, you are still sending that vibration, that higher vibration to other people. And if you have the opportunity or a chance to raise the vibration of the checkout lady at the grocery store, even for a few minutes by being around her with your higher vibration, you say hello to her, she's been having a crappy day all day, everybody's been giving her a hard time, you are balanced. So you go in, you say hello, you give her some words of understanding. It gives her a few minutes of heightened vibration, and that is going to allow higher vibration attraction to come into her life, which you have no idea what impact that might have on her right. or him. Right. So that's the importance of doing your own work and balancing yourself and realizing who you are and that we're all one, so that everybody you come in contact with, you are, by your heightened vibration, you are raising their vibration and therefore allowing them to have a higher vibration acceptance and attraction in their life, and therefore they change their, their life changes or has the potential to change just by being around you. Yeah. One of the, and that's why it's important to do your own work. One of the coolest things that I like to... Um, to stay mindful of when I'm talking to someone is is to be mindful that we have to learn to speak their language. And mm-hmm. and I don't mean, you know, if they're talking hood or if they have a third grade education, we're going to talk like that. All I'm saying is, is just be mindful of what their language is. And having the ability to do that, and I learned this from a very wise pastor. She said, you have to just learn how to speak people's language. 
and you'll reach so many more people. So it's really cool to be able to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this group of people who happen to be Christians. Maybe these people are Muslims. Maybe these people are atheists. It doesn't really matter. And you get to communicate with so many more people instead mm-hmm. of, I'm only going to go where I know how to speak that language. That's like you've only read one book your whole life, and you think that's the only book that there is. Whatever the book is, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Uh, it just opens up so many more doors. And right. half the time when you come away from that conversation, they make a huge assumption that you think exactly the way they think because you talk the way they talk. Mm-hmm. And they don't ask you specific questions. Is this your belief? Is this your faith? Whatever. You don't even have to broach those those questions. You just you just speak their language and and you just you look for the commonality instead of the difference and so many bridges can be can be um you know built that way. It's amazing. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. I look for the day when you you can sit down in dialogue with with just about anybody and your faith, your religion and all of those belief systems don't even enter the equation. That's a that's you know a good I mean? thing to think of, man. It doesn't you even know, come man. up. It doesn't even come up in conversation. Exactly. It doesn't <laughs> even come up it's irrelevant. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's just another right. one of those devices that, that, that keeps those those fear based tactics intact. You know, mm-hmm. we can step around that and set that aside and have a dialogue, a clear, open, and honest dialogue without bringing in belief structures. Once you start bringing in belief structures, you start bringing in those those fear components that restrict and, and, and keep mm-hmm. us submissive and small, you know. You know what I noticed? Okay. I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in the San Diego area, and the whole time I was in school, um, you know, all the way, all the way through to high school, I don't ever remember religion or belief in God ever coming into the conversation. It was incredibly uh-huh. rare, if ever. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it right. was not an issue. And there's a good melting pot of people out there. Uh, right. You come down here to the South where I live in Tennessee, it's uh-huh. a completely <laughs> different ballgame. Right. That's the first well, thing they ask. That's you go to. Yeah, they're like, you know, well, we don't really like them, but they're good Catholics, you know, and I'm like, God. Right, right, right. Exactly. Man, isn't it amazing how geography changes? I don't understand that. How geography changes things? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, come on, all it is is a landmass, okay? So it's Southern California. Mm -hmm. Why is it so radically different? Why is it such a radically different level of awareness? And I'm not saying one's better than the other. When you move because to a different Because that's why person, those people, that's why they yeah. travel to California to well, get yeah. away from the people in the South. I guess. Um, so all the people, yeah, all the people in the South are like-minded because that is, that is. They stayed. Um, <laughs> they stayed. All the like-minded people stayed. And yep. then all of the ones who did not follow that same yeah. philosophy are the ones yeah. that went left. There you right. go. Right. So. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, just geography, now that you bring geography into it, living out here, li- I live in the West now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm an East Coast boy. I grew up in the East Coast. Spent time in Atlanta, too, and down in, in the Bible Belt. And there's a stark contrast between this part of the country and that part of the country, just in terms of general awareness. I mean, you have, you, of course, you have your, your, your religious fanatics everywhere you go. But 
the level of awareness, I think, of the people south of, uh, what is that, the Gold Coast or whatever, south of the Mississippi or whatever, yeah. Yeah. they tend to think a little bit more freely than the people back east do. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's interesting that you brought geography up because I'm, I'm, I'm observing it firsthand. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. I just visited Atlanta. I just visited Atlanta last weekend for the first time. It's amazing you mentioned Atlanta. Really? Yeah, I went down there and uh, visited a, a Navy friend I hadn't seen in 20 years and experienced a float tank for the very first time in my life, which was a really cool thing. Uh, if, you've never, if you've never floated before, man, I'm telling you, uh, you need to be looking for a float tank. It's amazing. A float tank? You yep. need to get in it and float? Uh, yeah, I mean, think of a think of a bathtub with um, water that's body temperature, and there's so uh-huh. much Epsom salt in there that you float like a cork on the top of the water. Oh, wow! Uh, and you can you can turn the lights out. There's no sound, yeah. uh, or you can leave the door open with light. But the goal is uh, is to separate the mind from the body. It's basically like uh, meditation on steroids. Right. Yeah, it's wow. really cool. I've heard of that. Really Man, cool. I've never heard just Google it. Just Google float tank, flotation tank, sensory deprivation, and you you spend a couple of weeks. You know, you'll you'll pretty much figure out. There's a handful of books out there. Uh, yeah. It's been around since the '60s, and believe it or not, it started in Southern California. <laughs> Wait, where was this located? I want to know. Uh, Atlanta. They have them in Denver. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, just look around, look around. It's, each state's different, you know, based on their health department laws and spa laws and whatever. Uh, Tennessee, there are no commercial tanks, but there is a woman, a handful of people in Nashville that are pretty close to getting over that hurdle um, and opening up a commercial center, which, uh, I mean, I'd like to get my own tank. The You know, right. you're going to probably, between eight and 15000 they're not cheap because there's just not a lot of them out there, but you don't have to spend that kind of money. Just find a tank somewhere. I drove four and a half hours uh, to float. Four and a half? It's four and a half hours from Nashville to Atlanta, but I oh, tied I in. You and, said you were in the tank for four and a half hours. Oh, oh no, no. I did, <laughs> I, I did an hour and a half, and my friend floated uh, for an hour, and he had a really, really good time. He was in there spinning around like a porpoise, acting like a knucklehead. He just had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. anyway. Oh, that would be awesome meditation. Okay. Yeah, man. Well, they have them in Denver. Yep. They do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Get, after, mind. get after it. Yes, man. that would definitely be a way to stay on topic to um, raise your vibration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> meditation. Yeah. Can you imagine yep. not not touching anything, just totally suspended in the dark. Yep. What right. I what I did was um, this particular gentleman. He does have a, a spa. But they were doing like a remodel, and so he's about a month and a half out from actually having, to, to his knowledge, the first commercial float tank center in Atlanta. And he's going to have probably two or three tanks, and he showed me some pictures. They were building the, you know, doing the carpentry and all that, and it's like basically putting a tub in. That's the same concept. So this thing was four feet wide. Just think of it as a fiberglass tub. It's four feet wide. This one was probably eight feet long, and it, it was like a walk-in shower. And on the ceiling on, in these walk-in units. They have like little little lights on the ceiling that look like the stars out in space. Yeah. So when you get in there and you get settled, if you close the door, it's like floating in outer space. You can't feel your body. Um, wow. Yeah, I didn't get. And it to also tro- says it's, it also says it's good for expectant mothers. So that's good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all our expectant mothers out there, Candace. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> wow. I, I probably, Thank you. I, I had um I I mean I'm I'm thinking probably cuz the gentleman it was actually at his home. He lived in a really nice neighborhood. So he was yeah. u- using his tank uh, just an amazing whole separate room and all that, but he said he said it takes about three or four floats for most people to get to the point where the mind completely lets go of the body. And I probably had I'd say maybe half. I'm guessing my left arm basically I couldn't you know couldn't feel it, mm-hmm. um, and I'd say probably more of the left side of my body I couldn't feel. But I have a lot of tension in my neck from an old injury, so I mm-hmm. can feel my heart beating in my neck, kind of like when, when a finger throbs when you have like, a right. cut. So basically, right. an hour and a half was great, um, but I really look forward to the second and the third float. And he said eventually what will happen is, is when you get in and you get settled and the water starts moving, he said within five minutes your mind separates from your body, and bam, you're out in the cosmos. And I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. wait. <laughs> wow. Now, what is going through your mind? Are you like, is it like astral travel where you are, do you feel like you are somewhere else at that point, or are you just not aware of your body? Um, it, it's different for everybody. Um, I, I mean, I've only only floated once, obviously, and haven't had okay. a complete separation, but the, the basic premise is water is at body temperature, so there's no sensory input coming mm-hmm. in. So it ultimately gets down to just the awareness of being. So your your goal is is to experience nothing but pure presence. Mm. So raising your vibration. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely raising your vibration. Yeah. The cool thing Living is living in the is, present. Yeah, and the the Epsom salt has a lot of magnesium in it, so you're detoxing while you're in there too. So that helps. Right. That helps a lot too. Right. But I'm like, I gotta get to another tank, man. That was amazing. Man. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. That's that's and it's it's fairly it's fairly affordable. I'd say most places are some places are forty dollars for an hour to an hour and a half, some are fifty. It yeah. depends on the location. It's no more than what you would pay for a good LMT to really work on you, do some deep you know, deep right. tissue massage and that kind of thing. So Yeah, that's mm. another thing. Very anyway, cool. Just, okay, well, Definitely, we'll look into that. Yeah, look for anyway. Groupon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, Groupon. <laughs> that would be cool. Hey, listen, All thanks right. for opening up the mic. I really appreciate it, guys. All right, great. Sure, thanks for calling, thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Get out there and float, right. you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Definite. That's, that's cool. Definite. <laughs> that's, that's okay, cool. so while we are on the subject, which I... I we love that. While we're on the subject, why don't we talk about different ways of, you know, like cleansing negative energy or raising your vibration, such as, well, floating, <laughs> um, mm. meditation. Mm. Right. Or even in the physical, smudging. See. Smudging, yes. Smudging. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about smudging? Who, me? Say something about smudging. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I don't necessarily... No, no, just in case people don't want to know, don't know what, what it is. Oh, this is an ancient technique, just in terms of cleansing your house and getting out negative energy and, and, and moving energy around, basically, which is what some feng shui and, and all of those Far Eastern practices are. Smudging is burning sage, and you can find them just about everywhere. You can find them at, um, like spiritual shops or bookstores or I even saw some at Hobby Lobby. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my, wow. My jeans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just burn sage <laughs> and you just go around and, and and do your own little ritual, whatever your little spiritual ritual is. If you, you know, and if you're still a church person, people, Hobby Lobby, you can't get more Christian than Hobby Lobby. Sage is available there then that pretty much tells you that it's it's safe. <laughs> right. Right. So Please. yeah, basically you take some sage and and it's you know, like it's a, it's like a like a bundle of sticks if anyone's not right. familiar with what it looks like. Not like it doesn't look like the sage you buy in your spice rack. But it's like a bundle of sticks and it's wrapped up in string and you burn you light one end of it so that it smokes, and you, you wave can it back walk and around. Forth your, to keep the smoke. You wave it yeah. back and forth so the smoke kind of spreads throughout the air. And you walk throughout your house, and you're you're purifying the energy mm-hmm. in your house. You know, kind of mm-hmm. putting some protection. And you can also do it on yourself. So you can you know move it around your body, like start at your feet and move your way up your body, and you're you know purifying your your aura or purifying yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can walk around your house and purify yourself. And, you know, you can, you know, some people will walk around and say, you know, I command all the negative energy to leave the space and replace it with, you know, love or, you know, whatever you want to say. Wow, walk I just around thought of something. What did you think about? You know how we you, you you were talking about spitting in the glass and you were talking about all the Taylor's thing about you swallow spit all day long? Like uh-huh. spitting the glass is a whole different thing. Remember we were, we were talking about cleaning auras? Yeah. And and what I said was a good technique for cleaning the aura, and you were like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that one. What? What was it? Sitting in the bathtub, it. pissing in the bathtub, urine. Oh, yeah. Your no. urine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know ever, there's never a time where I'm, yes, urine is in my body for a short amount of time. But once it's out of my body, I'm not trying to come back in contact with uh-huh. it. But I don't, you know, not not that I'm completely close to yeah, it. You when I was a kid, I, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink the shit that I just put in a glass either. <laughs> if if <laughs> peeing in the bathtub cleans your aura, I had a clean aura when I was a kid. I peed in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> and a whole lot of kids and everybody who goes pool. swimming in public swimming pool. Right, you got clean aura. Clean auras. Aura. <laughs> wow. Well, my feet are clean from peeing in the shower because I still do yep, that. mine too. Well, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Peeing yeah. in the shower. Maybe you get some, you know, incense up from the, from the, you know, that's incense. That is. Wow. So just like you're lighting incense, you're lighting incense in the shower. So that's what peeing in the shower right. Yeah. Right. So you can do incense too is, a, is another way of cleansing your to command 
negative energy to leave your presence, but also being aware of who you are around and what kind of energy. You know, a lot of people, I'm one of those people who I've really had to learn to not take on other people's energy because I, although I feel very strong in where I am vibrationally and where my frequency is, when I'm around people who have lower vibrations, because I have a tendency to be very empathetic, I want to take, in order to extend myself empathetically, you align with the vibration. I thought that meant, yes, I thought that it meant that I had to align with where they are, which I now know that's not what it means, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely something I have to be conscious of. You know what? Um, and when I'm, yes. Go ahead, go ahead, finish, and I'll go ahead. Finish. Oh, when I'm around people, and I try not to anticipate, oh, I'm going to be around this person today. Um, I do try, to, well, I do give them a chance to wait until I am around that person to see if I can feel that lower vibration um, instead of anti- I don't want to anticipate it or rehearse <laughs> living in the future about what it's going to be like being around that person who is, Traditionally, a lower vibration person. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do work at pulling them up to my vibration rather than going down to their vibration. Right, and I think for the most part, you tend to do that. I think the stronger the two is the low vibration. I think the higher vibration, the faster, faster vibrating frequency or, or, or vibration is the stronger of the two. Stronger of the two. I think, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, but I, I noticed. I noticed being being. A, I've always been a, somewhat of a sensitive person, you know. And when you say sensitive, people think you know automatically easily get his feelings hurt. That's that's one component of being right. sensitive. But also being sensitive also means that you can feel things that other people can't. You know, right. you're very vulnerable and susceptible to vibrational frequency. You can feel frequencies. And I think the thing with me now is the more that the more aware that I'm becoming of myself, the more awakening to awaken to myself that I become, the more sensitive I become. The more aware of the various vibrations around me I'm I, I become. So it, it's like it's real it's becoming real challenging to be around a lot of people for an extended period of time. Because it's like almost like hearing people walk past with different radio stations playing. You know, some of us, one person might walk past playing jazz and somebody else will come past playing rock and somebody else will come past playing some real melancholy, you know. And, it's, and, and some of the vibrations you can feel, I can feel anger, I can feel fear, uncertainty, and I can also feel, you know, the the, the latter end, the euphorics and the love and, and all those vibrations. But it's real interesting that, you know, when you were saying that you would voluntarily move into someone else's feeling or their vibration just so you can sympathize with them. And I'm beginning to really feel, especially as of late, that I'm, like, feeling these things without trying to sympathize or empathize. You know what I'm saying? And I'm still trying to discern whether or not this is a good thing. You know what I'm saying? 
high vibration form of happiness and content that she doesn't even know what it is. Right. Um, that I feel like I should or I want to do something or I feel like, you know, there are no coincidences, so why is this person placed in the line behind me? She could have been in another line. I could have, you know, got an extra item and been in front of someone else. Um, You know, so I always feel like, why is this person, what is this person here to teach me or what am I here to teach this person? I'm starting to think I don't know. your, your test on how to maintain your level of vibration and without letting others affect you. I'm starting to think that's all I'm for. <laughs> yeah. And, and so much of us, again, is non-physical and also non-verbal. There might not be anything on the physical level that you're doing that might be done on the non-physical, non-verbal level. It all is. That's right. all vibration and, and so and with me saying that, that oh I think there should be something that I should do, I'm, I am doing something. Right. 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 I hear it all the time, and it's almost a cliche that 90% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, psychic. everybody is quote unquote psychic to a degree. Right. Right. You know well, what I'm saying? The opposite is happening then. So it's like you are obviously feel you're on a higher vibration than most people. Then what if they feel your vibration? So technically, you're just your mere existence is helping them recognize that they're not where they need or want to be. Right. Well, and also not I'm not giving into that because there may have been a time where I would have said, oh, I know, that's so rude. Or someone else might have said, if she would said that to someone else, someone might have lowered themselves to her level or connected to her on that level and justified her anger by agreeing with her. And she didn't get that, so maybe because she didn't she didn't get that, that right. it braced you know, her vibration and made a difference. So it's, again, being, you know, authentic and, you know, being comfortable with yourself and not feeling like I have to plan up with this woman so that I can relate to her, so that I can feel accepted by someone. Um, but feeling comfortable with who and where you are. Um, mm-hmm. And I just I just kind of looked back at her and I just smiled at her and looked back at her like, oh, you know. And I, and I looked at the little girl and was like, she's, you know, being a happy child. So it's interesting how you relate to other people in their anger or frustration or fear right. and how your level of or your frequency allows you to even in that, um, you know, stay on a higher plane. Or when people criticize, I mean, how do you handle criticism? It's the same thing. How do you handle other people's angry anger? How do you handle criticism when people are criticizing you? Do you allow that to affect your frequency? What do you do about that? How do you handle criticism when people are criticizing you? How do you handle that? I don't. Oh, wow. I had my phone mute. I was just talking. Oh, right. <laughs> I think it depends on I think it depends on what I believe 
<laughs> to be true um, right. about the criticism because right. I can I'm I'm comfortable enough to say that I know there's stuff about me that I need to work on, and so most of the time, if it's true what you're saying, I'm probably not going to react in the most positive way. Right. Yeah. right. But if I if right. I feel that it's not true, then I don't give a fuck. I mean, yeah, I don't care. Like, so I'll just look right. at you like, okay, that's how you feel. <laughs> Right. Hit dog will holler. Right. <laughs> right. Hit dog will holler. I right. I'm, I'm look at I look at criticism in a in a number of ways. First, I consider the if it's if it's an intimate criticism, meaning if it's somebody that knows me and I know them, you know, intimately, I know a lot of their backstory, so I kind of know where the criticism stems from, as it flows from them, and what it means. So a lot of times the criticism from someone who is dealing with the, with a situation that they're not really ready to identify with isn't exactly accurate, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right. as it relates to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be able to be open and honest and put on what fits and, 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 and take off what doesn't. And that requires you being absolutely present. you got to be present with yourself to really understand where and what you are at given points and given as you know, given times in your life. You have to be completely present. And what yeah. I'm finding is a lot of people aren't present to that degree. So their level of criticism is only because of a sound bite that they've heard or a perception that they may entertain because it's something that they've dealt with at another you know, within another component in their life and it looks familiar but it's not exactly the same thing. So right. I guess to me what I'm saying is criticism basically is a case-by-case case thing. Mm-hmm. But I invite all of it. I don't try to shy away from it because right. there are blind spots. There are hidden parts of us that we can't sometimes see, and it takes someone on the outside to show us those aspects. But we got to be you know, truthful enough to ourselves to allow it to be the case and to examine it. And, and, and check the, the the validity of it. And if it's valid, then, you know, explore it and put it on. <laughs> put right. your shoe on. Right. You <laughs> fit where? <laughs> right. If it's valid, it is going to hurt, and right. you don't want to hear it. Um, but you have to look at it as, okay, this is something that I seriously need to consider and see if it is, you know, in fact true for you. But I think that's why it's important to, but it's important to know, because people can only criticize you through their fear and walls and barriers and masks. So right. if, it is, if someone who is, it depends on who it comes from. Like I know if it's coming from my, who I consider people who are my spiritual partners, where I know that I can trust when they tell me something that is coming from a place of love and they truly want me to improve and be um, more authentic who I am, then I it's still gonna hurt, but I'm going to take it and say, Okay, I hear you and that is something that I'm seriously gonna think about and, and take into consideration. If it's someone who I know is just speaking from their pain and speaking from their fear and it's something that they are basically using as a form of attack so that I'm no longer looking at them then I'm not going to look at it the same way. Um, and then 
like Candace said, is this not true? I don't care. It doesn't touch me one way or another because, you know, if you said, you know, your hair is blue, well, I know my hair is not blue, so it's not going to make me upset. You know, it's just as benign as that. Um, you say something and it's criticism of me and I know it's coming from a place of fear and it's not true, then it has no no weight on me at all. It's just the true things that I know are coming from someone who I know is telling me because they think that otherwise I'm not going to be able to see it and it's going to help me be more of my authentic self. That's the criticism that I look at seriously and consider seriously and take on seriously. You know, sometimes, and this is this is a new phenomenon too, but sometimes a criticism is a cry for help. Yeah. Sometimes when people are overly critical of things, especially things that really that they're super critical of, it's a cry for help. It's something that they're dealing with, something that they're touched with in a very personal way that they don't quite know how to handle. And sometimes mm-hmm. people, you know, don't know how to come out and ask for help. But, you know, when you constantly you're looking, yeah. observe a, a a aspect that you criticize, I mean, just blatantly outright criticize harshly, a lot of times that's a cry for help, that you're dealing with something very serious and very deep, emotional. And you don't know how to, right, you don't know how to deal with it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Right. And they don't want to criticize. They just don't know how to do anything else. Right. They don't know what else to do. Exactly. Exactly. So they'll lash out at it every time they see it, every time they recognize it, and they relive it. And you can tell when somebody's reliving something, a, a pain that's very personal to them, how they respond, how they criticize. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can feel it in their voice. You can feel the heaviness in the way that right. they convey whatever criticism that they're conveying. And that's usually a, that's a lot of time, a lot of times that's, that's that's a deep crap out. Mhm. Right. A lot of times they are, like you said, they're reliving something, or they're not criticizing you; they're criticizing the person that you represent. Right. Right. That's or they true. think by criticizing you that they are going to gain acceptance because mm-hmm. they are. Um, that means that. that they are teaming up with someone else that might think, well, these people criticize, these people hate these people, so I'm going to hate these people too. Um, so therefore, I'm going to, you know, like, a, you know, like, um, I heard a story about this this um, rabbi who moved into this neighborhood with this skinhead who would call him on the phone every day and harass him and harass him and harass him. So the um, Rabbi found out who he was and started calling him. And he'd call him every Wednesday and just say, hi, hello, I, you know, and just say, I know you hate me, but, you know, if, if you know, and the man was disabled. And he would say, you know, like, if you were in, you know, in Germany, they would have killed you too because you were disabled and just trying to knock down those barriers. And so he called him every day, every day. The man would never answer the phone. He'd always leave him a message. Until years, he did this for years. And then one day the man answered the phone. And he said, you know, I don't know how to get out of this, but I don't want to do this anymore. Can you help me? And so 
the rabbi said, yes, I'll help you. And he actually went over to the man's house, and the man answered the door and had, like, three guns on his lap, and he thought, oh, I'm going to die. But he and his wife went to their house and had dinner with the man and talked about how he can help him, and he helped him get out. And he actually, this man um, ended up being um, a counselor to help other people who are trying to get out of that lifestyle to get out of it. So, again, he was just doing it because uh, his dad was very abusive, and that's the only thing that kept his dad from beating him was when he was concentrating on the people that he focused his hate on. And that was the only time that his dad wasn't concentrating on how much he hated, how how much hate was focused on his kids, it was focused mm-hmm. on the other people. So he teamed up with his dad to say, look, I'm one of you. You don't have to hate me. I'll hate these people along with you. And so that's what he grew up thinking. So it's kind of the same thing. People don't even, a lot of times people don't even know why they, you know, they're criticizing you just for their own survival and protection. And, again, it all comes down to fear. And very early in life, in our childhood, we make these rules, vows, laws, allegories, whatever you want to call them, to help us survive. And... We're still here, so it worked. Um, but what worked for you when you were seven is not helping you as an adult. So we have to learn to identify those things and then let go of them. And once we can let go of them, we can let go of that fear and we can start being more of our ethnic self and raising our vibration. But those are the mm-hmm. things that are keeping you in a low vibration frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow. Go, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Nick. So, uh, you know, that it takes some, some, you know, work to identify those things and then to reprogram yourself to let go of those programs. Um, but the, it's more of identifying what they are. So it's really getting to know yourself so that you know what you are reacting to. Um you know, those things that when you talk about them, you feel fear or you feel tightness in your muscles or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you feel some anxiety. You start identifying those things that make you fearful or those things that you don't want to talk about. You know, start thinking about and asking yourself why. What is it that I'm uncomfortable with this subject that, you know, you have no logical reason to feel uncomfortable with, and that's probably where those programs are. It's probably mm-hmm. where you have made some kind of vow to help yourself survive as a child. And now mm-hmm. it's time to let go of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. They're no longer serving you. They're no longer serving you. It's like letting a seven-year-old drive your car. And you sit in in the back seat. Right. You'd never do that. (laughs) Right. Right. So why are you letting a seven-year-old run your life? Wow. Most people don't even realize it. Most people don't even realize that they're in the back seat. Right. 
Yeah. You know, like a seven a seven year old is driving the bus. They don't right. they don't realize it. Because that's that's always been safe. That restrictive thing that you mm-hmm. tell yourself when you're that at that age is I'm gonna keep you safe over here. I'm gonna do whatever wall or mechanism or defense shield that we have to create in our persona to keep this from feeling that that way it felt when I put it there. We're never going to feel that again. So right. we got to create a whole different person with that to, to shield this from feeling that again. That's what we're going to do. Right. Uh, exactly. And that's the person who's right in your life, right, right. there. Yeah. Right. Right. And and a lot of folks don't don't even get in touch with that idea. It's like you know that's not the case, but it's definitely the case. Definitely the case. And then your entire right, life is set up to preserve that one little piece or that one little component or that one little facet of your life that was so detrimental and painful that if you ever went back in that room and looked at it, it's like, well, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> you know? Or if you right. look at it from a new perspective or a grown up perspective, it wasn't something that was that dire. You know? Mm-hmm. What your dad mm-hmm. calls you an idiot. He was an idiot, so doesn't matter. Right, exactly. Or as you, you, know, you know, you interpret things as kids. When you're a kid, it's the biggest thing in the world. But as you grow right. up, you realize, well, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But at that time, yeah, it is crushing, and it is the biggest thing in the world. But, right. um, but you know what, though? Even, some people think that just acknowledging the fact that now I realize that I'm older, that it wasn't a big deal, they think that that's enough. You know what I'm saying? They think that just because mm-hmm. they're now looking at it from grown, from from a grown-up perspective or more trained or educated eyes, and they acknowledge that it happened, they think that that's enough. But they never really revisit that 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 constitution or that amendment that they made to their personal constitution, and basically wiped it out of there. You know, they observed right. the idea. They said, you know, this was the case. But they don't do any internal work to remove it from, right. you know, their psyche, to where it's not right. an ongoing and a repetitive program that's continuing to run. Right. It, so it, at that it, point, it just becomes that. like a, a pet. So then <laughs> you're just taking care of it. Oh yeah, I know right. I have this. <laughs> right. Right. You dog, and I'm going to take care of it and to give it a bath and brush it and feed it, and you're just taking care of it. And you're just, yep, I know it's there, and I'm, it's this thing that I have to carry around and take care of, and I'm going to, you know, it becomes a, you know, a pet at that point. You're not getting like rid of it. Everybody on this phone had a gigapet. I never I had a gigapet. I never, never had a gigapet. I really never had a Never. I didn't understand the point. They were dumb to me. <laughs> Man, I had a couple of them. One of them, I used to get up in the middle of the night to feed it, to keep it. Oh, my oh, God. <laughs> I had a little thing on my phone, which I, I couldn't let. I had a, a little, when when I first started doing those pet things on the phone, I had a uh-huh. fish tank, and uh-huh. I couldn't let all the fish starve. So I used to have to get up in the middle of the night and feed my fish, which I was like, as soon as this thing goes, I will never do this again. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot let my fish die. Right. Wow. You create an attachment to them little things. Yeah, you do. You need to come with 
You know, and the longer yeah. that they stay with you, the longer the the the, the, the stronger the attachment. The exactly. And that's for people, and yes, and that goes right into people become attached to their pain.
And so your, you know, fear of expressing that part of yourself is, oh, I'm not artistic. I don't have any talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm a dummy. <laughs> right. I don't know no better. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I'm thinking about all, things, all all of the things that I've I've put myself in the way of in terms of, of degree of needing a degree of success only to walk step back away from it right at the very last moment. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, and it's it's amazing how those definitions and those those Assignments and rules that we give ourselves as kids mm-hmm. dictate the rest of your life until right. you do something about it. It's You're amazing. Right. And when then you really look at it, it's like, wow, and you can see it. When mm-hmm. you really find it and locate it, you can see exactly when you did it and the result mm-hmm. of you doing it all through your life. Right. It's incredible. Right. Absolutely, when you discover what it is. And another one that I have that I've developed to growing up in my family is a vow of you know, obedience where I'm not unable to going to use I've grown up thinking that I don't have I can't use my voice and I don't have my own personal power and I just probably pretty much have to follow orders do what I'm told without question and so now <laughs> now that, that I'm Right. Now that I am, you know, I'm trying to develop my voice now, and because everybody pretty much in my family has that same thing, we don't talk about anything. We don't she married, have anything. She married, she married a straight rebel. And right. <laughs> right. I married the exact opposite, which is helping me see what that other side, helping me claim my personal power. But yeah. that's what I've you just do it and you don't question it. You don't make anybody feel uncomfortable. You don't say anything. You don't question authority. And that's what I've grown up with and that does carry over in other parts of my life, such as work and what I've done. Oh, I just accept things the way that it is without any question. Um, which I've really had to have a lot of work undoing that. And knowing that it's okay for me to speak for myself and have my own power and not just follow orders and be a good girl. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm not being a good girl if I'm not following orders if I ask questions because that's how I that's what I was that was the vow that I made. As long as I do what I'm told and I be quiet then I'll be safe. All right. That was the vow that I made. It's safe, but it's yeah, it's not it's not much fun. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of there's lots of vows that we we give ourselves that we don't even know or realize that is controlling controlling you. And if you have a question of why your life isn't going the way that you think it's going, if you oh I'm doing the whole law of attraction and I haven't gotten what I wanted, it probably has to do with those vows, or you're going against mm-hmm. your authentic self. Right. Uh huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably hell. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Because right. all of that subconscious stuff, that that trumps everything that we're saying. 
in your immediate right. forefront. Everything that you're cognitive of and speak of, you can say all the right shit and say affirmations all day long, but until your subconscious buys into it, you ain't getting it. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So your beliefs match your thoughts, match yep. your actions. Yep. <laughs> then if you can say all you want to, but what your subconscious right. beliefs you gotta are. you got to line everything up. Yep. Everything, right. you got to line it all up. You can't just line one that's just almost like a combination lock, you know. You got to get all the numbers together in order to unlock it. You can't just get one number and then tug on it and think it's going to open. Right. You got to get all those sequential numbers together to make all those tumblers and then it open. Right. Dropping bombs all over. Right. Dropping bombs all over the place. Right. I'm hungry. Right, so you can't say that you, you know, you can't say that you want, you know, I'm, I want to be rich. I'm, I wish I could win the lottery. But then in the back of your mind you're thinking, or, you know, subconsciously, I don't deserve that or I didn't work for that or I can't be rich or everybody's going to hate me if I'm rich and what is my family going to think and nobody's going to talk to me and everybody's going to want my money and this is going to be more trouble than it's worth. Well, guess what? Mm, right. Right. Yep. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works. So everybody out there doing vision boards and affirmations, and you can do a hundred vision boards <laughs> and have one for <laughs> you can have one for every day of the year. But if your beliefs, yep. your true subconscious beliefs don't match what you have on that vision board, it's not going to happen. Right. Because you're protecting yourself from it. You're right. protecting, you're yourself, protecting from yourself from it. You're like mosquito. You're a dream repellent. Dream repellent. Right. Like dream skin repellent. so soft. They yeah. Got <laughs> skin so soft with mosquito repellent. Wasn't skin so soft like a perfume or something? What was it? Yeah. Like something. It's like a lo- Yeah, it's like a perfumed lotion. Mm-hmm. Wow. They, they accidentally found out the repelling mosquitoes or something. Right. That's funny. That's pretty close. That's pretty close. Pretty close analogy. Right. Exactly. Repelling dreams. I got it for something else, but it's actually repelling mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So we have about five minutes left. Um. Last thoughts. Last thoughts. Keep your heart. Keep the fire. Uh, uh, you know, God bless America. <laughs> that just lowered my vibration. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I need to go burn some sage. <laughs> that was my last thought. I'm expressing myself. Oh, Damn it. Okay. I like you, Brian. Oh. your heart. That's how you keep your relationship high. Express yourself. You got to see you, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, see, it's contagious. Go ahead. Just tell Nikki, go ahead and talk. 
please feel free to send us an email with comments, questions. Just send the email to blueclick at gmail.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-L-I-Q-U-E. So thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate all of the callers and listeners and all of your input. And um, let us know if you have any show ideas or if you want to be part of the show. Anytime you're live, subscribe because we don't have um, a regular time. So subscribe so that you will know when the next show is coming up. So thank you very much. And peace out. Can someone say goodbye? Mm-hmm. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you. Peace. All Yeah.